So this past uh, Friday, uh, I, I come in uh, uh, from work Friday evening, and my wife uh, greets me, and, and, and she says, uh, hey, honey, you do know what today is, don't you? And it's like I start sweating bullets. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, the wheels are, are, are turning. And if you want to make a husband nervous, just you know, there are two questions. Say, hey, honey, do you notice anything new? Okay. And then, hey, hey, honey, you do know what today is, don't you? So I'm going, you know, our anniversary's in August. Uh, her birthday's in July. My best born in August. Ryan's born in October. I'm, I'm going through. And she said, our first date. February 25th was our first date. I said, honey, I was on the tip of my tongue. I mean, I was just, I was just about to say our first date, but you beat me, you beat me to it. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that we had a first date. I'm, I'm thankful we're, we're still uh, uh, dating years, uh, year, years later. That's a, that's a good thing. My, my point being is that we all have milestone moments, a birthday, an anniversary, something to celebrate. And actually God's church has a birthday called the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was one of the four major Jewish festivals. It's called the Feast of Weeks, uh, Pente- also Pentecost, uh, 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Easter, if you will. And on that first Pentecost celebration, where Jews not only in Jerusalem, but from the entire Mediterranean rim, would have been in Jerusalem. They came for Passover, stayed for Pentecost. But on this first Pentecost, following Easter, following the resurrection of Jesus, something amazing happened. It's the outpouring of the Spirit. It's the beginning, the birthday of the church. So we're going to read through Acts chapter 2, which is a real hallmark chapter in the Bible. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And so brightness appears above their heads. It spreads from one to another like flames of fire, and there's a sound roaring past. Imagine the sound of a, of, of a gale, a tornado. Whatever they saw and heard, they saw it and they heard it. You couldn't be there and miss it. God is up to something wonderful. It's audible. It's visible. It's dramatic. Tongues of fire on their head. You remember in last Sunday's children's moment, Landon Spates was teaching and he acted this out. Remember that? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues that, that the Spirit, as the Spirit enabled them. It's like, what is this? Uh, just keep listening. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So, in other words, not all these Jews really spoke Hebrew as a native language. They've been dispersed, but they're Jews in faith or converts. But when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, 
because each one heard them speaking in his own language. In other words, God's up to something. And here is a message he wants to communicate. He wants everyone to hear it and understand it. And he works this miracle that you'll find it occurs three times in the book of Acts. It will occur here in Acts 2. It occurs in Acts chapter 10. It also occurs in Acts chapter 19, three times, where God uses this miracle of speech. In essence, you, you may be speaking French to me, but I hear it in English. It's a miracle. But this is a message God wants. He, you know, sometimes a business will do a soft launch. We're going to do a soft opening. We'll do a soft launch. This is not a soft launch. <laughs> this is not a soft opening. This is big and bold and dramatic here. And utterly amazed, they asked, well, now, aren't, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? In other words, these are hillbilly rednecks. They're from Galilee. They're from the country. And yet we can all hear them in our native language. We understand. We hear the dialect. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? By the way, what were they saying? Verse 11 says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. We hear them declaring what God has been up to and what he's up to right now. So God supercharged the church's launch. No soft opening. All right. Uh, the, the real outline this morning comes not from me, but from the text itself. Because in, in, in this section, there are two big questions asked. The second question is going to be, what shall we do? But the first question is, what does this mean? Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does all this mean? The, sound, the sight, the sound, the drama. Well, some, however, they made fun. <laughs> and they said, ah, oh, they've just had too much wine. They're heckling. These guys have been into the white lightning too early. Well, Peter is going to explain the situation. You know, we've all been in, 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 uh, in settings before where we didn't quite understand what was going on, and then someone explained it, and it made perfect sense. If you've ever been to an Astros game, you know about the uh, kiss cam moments, K-I-S-S, kiss cam moments. And that's where they'll, you know, at some point during the game, they'll put a camera on a couple, and they're supposed to kiss, and, uh, and they do a lot of couples around the stadium, and it's a lot of fun. People laugh, and they participate. Well, this past baseball season, there was a moment where uh, at, at one particular game, they were doing the kiss cam, and they, they put the kiss cam on one couple, and they didn't do anything. They just sat there like knots on a log. And at first, it was a little awkward until the guy explained the situation. Watch this. There they are at the ballpark, having a great time, minding their own business. And then you'll see them start to watch the screen. Everybody's doing the kiss cam. And then at some point, they realize that they're on camera. 
and now he will explain the situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? She's my sister. All right. Verse 14. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, what's happening here is not some Johnny-come-lately plan. What's happening here was actually spoken and prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, and these are the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, and everyone Who? On everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what you're seeing here is a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Our great God promised it. It's been prophesied. He's a spirit promising and now a spirit giving God. And he will give his spirit to all who come to Christ. And now he begins a sermon, really. At verse 22, and it's an amazing sermon focusing on the identity of Jesus, only 539 words, and it's a masterpiece. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. But this man, Jesus, he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. In other words, Jesus did not have his life taken from him. Jesus laid down his life on purpose. But you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, listen to the hope rising, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Let me just mention here that Peter says this was God's plan for Christ to be sacrificed, but he utilized wicked and evil people in it. God does not plan evil, but he can even use evil in his plan. Fellow Israelites, he's going to now appeal to their hero, King David, the greatest king of all, a beloved patriarch. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. And from the, where Peter was speaking to the location of David's tomb, they could virtually see it. In other words, he's saying, David is dead, he's still in his tomb. But guess who's not dead? One of David's descendants that he prophesied about. But David was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. And now he lasers in, and God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all 
witnesses of it. It's been seven weeks since the resurrection. Christianity was born and inaugurated in the very city where it would have been most easy to prove Peter a liar. But no one could discredit the message. Nobody's heckling this point. And because of the events of the past 50 days, Jesus has become a hot topic. And if the resurrection had never happened, who would know better than Peter's audience that day? Of all the people in the world, Peter's audience would have been able to contradict him if what he's saying is only myth. But Peter is stating facts, and no one can deny it. And by the way, you do notice a change in Peter, don't you? He's no longer a cowardly denier. He's now a bold, courageous witness and proclaimer. You know, those early believers, you could threaten them, but you couldn't silence them. You could threaten them, but you couldn't intimidate them. Why? They knew that Jesus indeed lives and reigns, and God's raised him up. Verse 33, and exalted to the right hand of God. Notice this. Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and Jesus is the one who's poured out what you're seeing and hearing. And so everything you're seeing and hearing today, what you see, what you hear, all this drama, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in such a visible and dramatic way, Jesus does this. You know, sometimes we'll say we're, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're really baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's Jesus who does it. And, and listen, and He's worthy to do it. You see, this sermon is leading up to this question. Do you agree with God about Jesus? Do you agree with the status that God, the Father, bestows upon Jesus? In other words, you cannot be anti-Jesus and pro-God. If you're anti-Jesus, you're anti-God. And I realize that's not a socially popular message. This, and Jesus is worthy to pour out His Spirit because Peter will say, he's earned it. I mean, look at his life, the incarnation, all of his miracles that cannot be denied, his perfect life, his death on the cross as a sacrifice, and then resurrected to life again, and now ascended and exalted, and he's pouring out his Spirit on all who believe in him. And he says this, therefore, you let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. His adversaries called Jesus a phony. His adversaries called Jesus a charlatan and a fake. But what they were saying about Jesus was wrong. It was dead wrong. There is a much higher authority 
that's overturned their judgment. He's not a fake. He's not a charlatan. You let everyone be assured of this. He is Lord. He is King. He is Messiah. And the question to you is, do you agree with that? Have you decided that's true and I'll build my life on it? So, if you want to fill in this blank, here it is. Jesus is validated by his life, death, resurrection, and exaltation. If you're going to be cavalier about Jesus, then you're also cavalier about God. And if you want to be pro-God, you will be pro-Jesus according to Scripture. He's Lord in Christ. What does all this mean? And then here's the second question. So what shall we do? What shall we do then in response to this? Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And stop there for a moment, because many of you know the answer to that question. But let's just stop with the question, because this question is really, really vital. It's vitally important. Heaven and earth and all of eternity will hang on the response to this question. What shall we do? Suppose Peter had said, too bad, so sad. You made your bed. You lie in it. Sorry, you are past the point of no return. What shall you do? There's nothing you can do. You're too far off. But praise be to the God of grace. That was not the answer. What could have been devastatingly bad news became beautiful, life-giving good news. What shall we do? Peter replied, you repent and you be baptized. Every one of you. In other words, there's not a one of you that's too far off from grace. The gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus Christ, can reach to you and you and me and you and you. You say, Ronnie, you don't know where I've been and what I've done. I'm listening and watching this today from prison. The good news of Jesus is for you. And for those darkest moments, whatever the stain may be, if the grace of Christ can reach even to the people who crucified him. Don't you think the good news of grace can reach you? And so repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for all, men and women, young and old, all who call upon the name of the Lord. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is just that. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Forgiveness is a free gift, but it's what you would call a costly free gift. You know, my undergraduate degree is from a private university in Tennessee, and it did not cost me a cent. You say, well, Ronnie, did you get a 
full ride academic scholarship? Not completely. Well, Ryan, did you get a full ride athletic scholarship? Oh, no. Oh, no. My parents paid for it. Every cent. What did it cost me to attend Freed Hardeman University? It did not cost me anything. It cost my parents thousands of dollars. It's a free, costly gift. And forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is a free gift to you and me. Costly, earned by Jesus, incarnate, perfect, the sacrifice, raised from the dead, exalted at the right hand of the throne of glory, and giving us, pouring out one good gift after another. And verse 39, and the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. No one is too far off for this call. In other words, Peter says, this good news is not just for this audience at this moment. It's for your children, your grandchildren, and beyond to all who call on the name of the Lord. And so this sermon, Peter's sermon, is leading you and me to this question. Do you agree? Do you agree with what God says about Jesus? Because if you're anti-Jesus or cavalier Jesus, you cannot be pro-God. So, let me make just a few summary points. Here's the first one. Just know that the gospel is for everyone, everywhere. For you and me, for all who call on the name of the Lord. In Texas, in the Ukraine, in Russia, wherever. Secondly, repent. That's what Peter says. Peter did not coddle nor pet the people on the day of Pentecost. He fed them. He, he spoke truth to them. He said, you've had your back turned to Jesus and your face turned towards your own self-will. It's time that you turn your back to your own self-will and turn your face toward Jesus. Repent. In other words, start doing things in God's way. I have a friend by the name of Tim Spivey who says this. He says, uh, nice dishonesty is never better than truth and love. And Peter He's speaking the truth in love. He's giving them the gospel that God has raised Jesus from the dead, made him Lord in Christ. He's offering salvation and abundant life to all who will follow him. You need to believe. You need to repent. And then he says, be baptized. And this is good news. Baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He says, if you think you're too far from grace, too dirty, too filthy, 
too far gone to be redeemed. That's not true. God has a provision to you. And I would say the same thing to you today. Is it time for you to be baptized into Christ? Uh, there are often two e extremes in discussing baptism. Uh, one extreme is the view of water regeneration, that there's just power in the water. There's no power in the water. It's H2O. What gives baptism its significance, first of all, is the sacrifice of Christ because baptism is a reenactment of the gospel. It's not a work. It's an expression of faith in the work of Christ. So we don't believe in water regeneration because, again, what gives baptism its power is faith. If I'm baptized with no faith, I just got wet. But there's another sort of extreme view. There's, oh, baptism, it's not really that important. It's optional. It's a Bible scholars will describe baptism as being spiritually efficacious, which is just sort of a fancy way of saying it's important. God meets you there, does something there. As Peter would say, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, just sort of use common sense here for a moment. If someone wants to stiff-arm baptism, can you imagine coming to Jesus, who, who teaches baptism, by the way, and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, King, Master. I am following you. Oh, you want me to be baptized? Sorry, I'm passing on that. Baptism is where you declare that you agree with what God says about Jesus that he is Lord and King. And then last of all, you live it out. Uh, and we'll continue to see this like next week here in the book of Acts. What do people do after they're baptized, after they come to Christ? But bottom line, here it is. We become part of the church. We become a part of this new community. We're not a social club. You treat the church like a social club. It becomes a problem for you. You're going to miss things. We're not a political cause. We are a family of God, and we worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do we do? We rescue and we, and we nurture souls in the grace of Jesus Christ. What do we do? We are the pillar and ground of truth upholding the sacred scriptures. What do we do? We unleash compassion in the name of Jesus Christ. What do we do and who are we? We are a spirit-empowered community of belonging. Okay, I want to come back to baptism for a moment. I just say if you're here today and, and, and you're ready to take that step of baptism, we're ready for you. I mean, really, we're ready for you. All you need to do is uh, either towards the end of the service, maybe when we're singing the last song or right when the service is over, all you need to do is just walk out into the lobby and go to our new here, start here room and say, hey, I, I'm ready to be baptized today. And uh, you say, well, well Ronnie, I, did, I didn't bring a change of clothes. Listen, we've got baptismal garments back here. Well, I didn't bring a towel. We've got towels. We have a baptistry. It's heated. 
It's a heated baptistry. I mean, we're, we're ready. All you have to do is get to the new here, start here room. You say, well, I'd like somebody to come back there with me. Hey, you can bring the whole family back there. You say, well, I, may, I was sprinkled as a child. That wasn't your faith. It needs to be your 27 times in the book of Acts. You'll read about baptism, and every time faith comes first. It's believer's baptism. Faith is the parent. Repentance, confession, baptism are children of faith. We're ready for you. And um, we'll record it if you want it recorded. Um, you say, well, my family, friends aren't here to see. Like I said, we'll record it for you. What I'm going to ask you to do is not procrastinate. Now, I didn't say that sometimes it's, it's important to wait because it's a time to learn and discern. Okay? That's important to do. But if today is your day to cross the line and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're ready for you. We can make this happen today. Now you say, if I'm, uh, I, I, would, I would like a little time to learn and discern. Can I have somebody help me? Yeah. You just go to the new here, start here room and say, I, I'd like for someone in the church, maybe one of the church leaders here, to sit down and, and, uh, and let's do a Bible study together. We can help. We are ready. We would love to do that. If you would like something on your own, I've got, uh, we've got a book here called First Conversations. It's sort of a do-it-yourself Bible study. They're right out here. Just walk into the lobby, hang a right at our info center. They're free. Pick one up. It's for you. David, why don't you be making your way up here, please? David Avery is going to lead us in prayer here in just a moment. But, you know, we're we're just a few weeks away from Easter. And traditionally over the years, so many people who are apprentice believers, they're learning, they're growing. So many believers over the years have used the Easter season as sort of a time to prepare for their own conversion, for their own baptism. Maybe that's where you are. And I hope you will u utilize the next few weeks uh, to learn and discern. Okay? And again, we're eager to help. Just go to New Here, Start Here. And if today's your day, we're ready to help too. The Lord bless you, everybody. So thankful you were with us. So thankful that you were with us online. Just know that I love you. And I care for you. And uh, I won't try to pet you nor coddle you, but I will do my best to speak the truth to you in love.